Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I was just talking about terminal stuff and SSH and another podcast just a, a little bit ago. And I guess what I was going to say is, how much about terminal do you know? Do you know any terminal tips? I was going to try one out today talking about it. It might be kind of tough. I'm sure that's what you're interested in listening to your Alexa right now. Wait, I mean Echo. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to mention the commands. If you go to your Mac or you go to a Unix system, as it were, you open up terminal. Uh, a couple of things that you can run. It's probably going to run bash, I figure, like I'm some expert. But I think that's the born again shell. I think it's kind of one of the more modern uh, sort of basic default shells that seems to run. Uh, if you're running Linux, I don't know, God help you. And you probably know a lot more about it than I do already. So, you know, you're on your own. But <laughs> a terminal tip for the moment, especially if you're on a Macintosh, I guess it doesn't work on a Windows machine because that runs DOS, right? It's not a Unix-based system. Shoot. But if you're uh, on a Mac and you want to get into your terminal and you want to move around just a little bit to sort of see what it's like, I guess two commands that would definitely get you started would be the ls command in the born shell, so the bash shell. Um, the ls command is like the list command. So when you type in ls and then return, what you're going to have happen is it's going to list the contents of the directory that you're currently in, in text, in command line. Oh, man, it's pretty exciting. You're going to be excited when you see it for the first time. Um, if you want to see uh, some other things, I guess what you try, this is a bonus one, this is a big one too, is cd, the current directory command. So if you want to, I guess, move directories from what directory you're at now, your root directory, let's say, and you want to move up to your pictures directory that you see when you type in ls, you're going to type in cd space pictures and then you're going to hit return and that's going to move you to the directory of pictures then when you type in ls you're going to get a list of the contents of the directory in pictures wow pretty amazing you moved a directory in unix and you found out on this flash briefing you can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com you can check out some of my photo books on amazon I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. I think uh, like October, well, September, October and, and November are really like uh, maybe one of my favorite outdoors seasons. And it's probably kind of set up that way for a lot of people that have like a tradition of going out on hunting trips through October or, you know, like going out on opening day or something like that. In Oregon, I think it's October 1st, maybe in other States it's in a, a part of September. So I think it's kind of, kind of been tuned and tied to the, uh, the hunting season in uh, like the American cultural lore for probably a hundred years or 80 years or so, uh, as that's kind of, kind of been, uh, like part of the American mythologies, but it's uh, cool, though. I like uh, going out in the fall. It's really one of the best times to go camping. It's uh, when you get to kind of take uh, or make use of all the equipment and stuff that you've sort of procured over time. And uh, and that's when you kind of also get to use some of the, the skills and stuff you've been trying to scout out or train on to kind of see how they work and the application of them. You know, in the summertime when it's like really nice out, it's cool to go out and camp. And I've always had a really great time doing that. But uh, like the hot weather camping, I don't know. It's... Um, it's, it demands a little less. I guess it's kind of obvious, but the environment is sort of uh, something that you don't have to contend with as much. And uh, in the deep winter, the environment's probably too much to contend with. So there's a cool kind of pocket. 
that I like uh, <laughs> as like an ideal, uh, but uh, a cool kind of weather pocket or environmental pocket between, I guess, like parts of the fall until November when it kind of gets too deep into it. And then parts of the spring as we're coming up into the summertime where you can kind of, um, you can kind of feel like you're getting to do a little bit more fires still kind of a no right <laughs> but uh i'll wait for the winter springtime to do that but at least like in late fall like in november or in these uh like northern oregon areas after you start getting like a layer of snow or a significant amount of rain and the fire uh, the emergency level drops back down to green uh, there's a lot of open burning that you can do on campsites that you set up at public land and stuff so i think that's always kind of a, a fun part of like the, the winter like late fall camping stuff is when you get to set up like a bigger fire, gather some wood, gather some big logs to be uh, kind of like your fuel for the evening. It's kind of fun. And it's sort of like that more, I don't know, primal kind of connective to to like the, the real kind of root camping stuff. But uh, as it goes for a lot of the year, uh, like in the summertime, like hot weather stuff, you're kind of like uh, doing it around water or, you know, that's how like we would we would do stuff, you know, we do rafting or something. Uh, so it's kind of like enjoying the day. You don't have to layer up. You don't have to wear like uh, a dry suit or you know, a bunch of different, I don't know, warming layers that you have to kind of be conscious of. So I think that's kind of where you start getting into more of that now. I think like now, like river trips and stuff, you know, they sort of shift from like the the recreational summer tourism, whitewater stuff that you get between, I guess, like May and Labor Day. And now as you get kind of further into September and now deep into October, uh, you have people, I guess, coming down just kind of strictly for some of the fishing season stuff. So you get like, uh, instead of rafts, you'll have a bunch of drift boats come down like fishing boats and stuff, guided tours and stuff for some of the, the lower river stuff or just people out on there. They're kind of set up and prepped for fishing trips, but it's cool. Yeah. A lot of, um, a lot of enthusiasm around some of the fishing stuff during this time of year. In fact, really, I want to get out and do some fishing stuff. I got my fishing license earlier this year and I've gone a couple of times this fall, but I need to really, I guess, commit a little more and, kind of set it up the right way. I think I'm always kind of doing a couple too many things, you know, like I'm trying to like set a camera up to record footage and then throw some casts and let the line set. And then you wait for an hour or so, but maybe if it's the non-optimal time or you're kind of up to something else and you move on and stuff. So I haven't really caught a lot of stuff that was keeper worthy. I picked up a couple of things out of the lake and it was like, oh, uh, shoot, little tiny guy. Or a little like tiny sunfish or rafe. What is it? Yeah, I think it's a little sunfish, like these, uh, like kind of like a bluegill. Not a lot, you know. <laughs> Shoot, a little better than a minnow. Uh, but uh, yeah, I want to try and get into doing some more uh, fall fishing stuff through now until like the end of the year. And I think there's a couple couple good seasons that kind of come on through uh, November. But I think it'd be cool. I want to try and uh, try and jump into that a little faster. I think there's also some kind of controlled like stocked ponds that are nearby where I'm at. I think they stock them with trout through the winter. And I'm interested in trying out a couple of those places. They seem like they're, you know, or just, just to kind of the numbers that they talk about. It's like, oh man, that's, that's kind of cool for that kind of a thing for a stocked fishing kind of thing. But uh, I've been trying to get a little bit more into like what I can harvest, what I can prospect, uh, what I can kind of, kind of gather from uh, natural resource areas that are around me. And I think it's been kind of fun to do as, uh, I guess, sort of a hobby. Uh, so along with, like, the photo stuff that I'm trying to do while I'm out, I've been trying to, like I was saying, like, get a fishing license so I can do some fishing stuff on the side or uh, pick up a little bit of information about what kind of rock counting I can do in that sort of area. 
or uh, what kind of like foraging stuff I can do or what kind of uh, like wood gathering opportunities I have. So I've been trying to do some of that stuff a little bit more often. Like, uh, and I don't know, email me if there's some other cool stuff I can do. But, uh, but yeah, it's been cool. I've been trying to like now in the fall, go out and do some chanterelle picking. Uh, so if I can find some spots that are good for it, it's like a lot of stuff like kind of near the coast or coastal range in Oregon, probably, uh, I don't know what, like Florence to Astoria, probably a lot into Washington too, that I just have no clue about. But, uh, that I think like those foot, foothills of the, the mountains there kind of get the moisture and they have the right type of, uh, like temperature range. Uh, for them to grow during this time of year. It's interesting, though, how those those grow patterns go. I don't really understand. I really don't understand, like, mushrooms and how those mushroom rings work or how, they, like, their their populations work. But, uh, but yeah, it's really interesting how they, they grow in just, like, certain patches. Like, where they are, there'll be more of those. But where they're not, there won't be. It's kind of, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just weird going around and finding them. But if you find one, you'll find, like, more around in that area if it's been, like, a good climate for it. For a while, though a lot of October still has been really just a little, we've getting a little rain here and there. And I'm glad there's some like systems moving through, but it's really kind of been dry enough still that, uh, that some of the forest floor isn't quite moist enough yet to really start bringing on the, the fungus growth that, uh, that we need to get like a good, a good crop of, uh, edible mushrooms out of it. So, uh, we'll kind of see how it goes. And I guess there's going to be a window of it. Sometimes like the, the years are better for it or worse for it. And, uh, I don't know, we'll kind of see how it, how it goes for the rest of the year. Sometimes like as soon as you snap into November, you get a week or two weeks or three weeks into November. And those will really be pretty, pretty good weeks. Uh, but as soon as you get a few days with sort of, uh, where you get like a strong frost or freeze overnight, that really messes with the growth of those mushrooms. And if you get them consecutively for like three days, that'll really knock out anything. For one of them, you know, the mushrooms, they grow so fast. So if you have a, if you have a freeze, a hard freeze on Monday, but then it warms up Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, by Thursday, you'll, you'll be able to get like a, you wouldn't even notice, you know, you'll be able to get a good crop of, uh, of new, newly grown mushrooms out of, out of, you know, that same, same area. So it just kind of depends on like how it goes. But as soon as you start getting like a set of hard freezes, Man, it just seems like I've gone out and seen like a bunch of them that had been growing, and then now they're just uh, like mushy, and you know they just oh, they got a deep freeze, they they frosted over, and now it's like a dead plant, and it's just kind of turned into a mush. And they, man, those mushrooms turn into a mush real fast. It's really weird. I was looking at a ring that's growing in our yard. It's just toadstools, you know, like out by uh, like the I don't know, just out by like a an apple tree. It's cool that they come on, but they come on in like, uh, I think kind of late September is when they start to pop up this ring out there. And then there, there's some other areas that I've noticed some around town too. It seems like it's just like a certain time of year and boom, here's all these as soon as the conditions get met right. Uh, but yeah, right where those are, they come up and then they last about, I don't know, maybe five days, a week or so. Maybe it's been a week and a half now, and but they, they really start to decay and they start to like kind of kind of fall over, fall apart. And it's interesting too to see how the grass responds, the grass and the lawn around it looks like it's been fertilized heavily but yeah it just boom pops up bright dark green grass about three inches or maybe three i don't know maybe twice as tall as the, the rest of the grass around it so yeah it seems like those little toadstool mushrooms fed the lawn pretty well but yeah i think there's like another growth of them coming on now which is kind of interesting how they, they come on in a couple of phases but there's some some fresh ones coming up in the the ring area around it and then those will i don't know those will kind of last for a couple of days and then wilt out over again too 
but it's cool. Um, checking out some mushrooms and stuff around here. But yeah, I've been trying to go out and sort of see what I can uh, forage around for, which has been kind of fun. I'm not really sure what other stuff there is. I hear there's, what is it, elderberry? I hear about that being looked for. And I remember, now this is another one. I remember seeing a, a person, it was a strange circumstance. I was driving on a on a forest road out in the mountains here, pretty deep in the mountains, and didn't see any cars around, Didn't or didn't pass a car on the drive up. You know, you see a car, then you're like, oh, well, there's probably a person around with that car. And then after we passed this, like, we didn't see a car either, but we, we were driving, and then there was a, like a shorter man with a hat and he had two big racks of these like branches, maybe about as long as like your elbow to your fingertip or so, but these long, like thin branches with these big, broad green leaves on it. And it'd be, yeah, it'd be, I don't know, maybe 24 inches or so. And they were all on these stacks. And then there would, there'd be like a kind of a plywood thing, or I don't know what it was, maybe newspaper or something, paper, but then it was like more stacked on top of that, and then another layer more stacked on top of that. But yeah, he just had this big bundle of these sticks with these big broad green leaves on it, and he was standing there on the edge of the road that we were at, and we drove by, and then we drove down the rest of this road, and yeah, we never saw a car or anything that he was staying in, but this guy was out here collecting these green sticks and leaves, uh, so I'm not sure what that is. It looked like elderberry i never really identified it exactly i know some of that grows up here and i know people try and forage for it but i'm not really sure what for or how it works but now that i know they do it i want to do it too sort of how the chanterelle thing came out i think like a lot of people had never really even heard of that uh or a lot of like the mushroom picking stuff like morels morels got really popular and stuff but uh i think it's like kind of because because it, it kind of people sort of found out that you can go look for it and people are going look, looking for it or that it's like really expensive. You think like, wow, if it's 15 bucks to look for it or 15 bucks to buy a pound of mushrooms, of chanterelle mushrooms in the store, well, if it's that expensive, it must be good. And if it's that good, then I must want to go look for it. Sort of what it seems like a little bit. But it's cool going out, looking for some mushrooms and stuff outside. I hear people talking about like uh, like picking morels. And I guess those grow, I guess those must grow in a different environment, like a different terrain or or whatever it is. I hear about them more like toward like in the east or like the Midwest. So I'm not really sure, but I know like there's different relationships of like the, the tree to the type of soil and the type of like environment that it's in. Uh all kind of plays a part into like what mushroom is gonna grow. Is it a mycorrhizal relationship? I might have talked about it last time, but I don't really understand how that works, but I don't, so I don't understand what allows there to be like a morel versus a good spot for a chanterelle to grow or a portobello or what is, what are those regular white ones? Just those criminy, just regular ones that we eat and stuff. So I'm not really sure what, what kind of like allows you to, to farm some, but not farm others. I know that's a big one that you can't effectively farm morel mushrooms. I guess you can, you can harvest them in an area that is set up as an optimal environment that's about as good as, as they've had it like they've had, they found like where they're growing and the time of year that they grow well and they try and optimize for that so that they can go through and harvest more of it out of it but they haven't been able to take i suppose like an area that that didn't have the correct environment for it and then sort of artificially grow more then the landscape would kind of bear naturally. I don't think they figured that out. And I don't really understand that, like how there's some that you can, uh, or, or, or you, know, you kind of figure out a little bit, but like 
it's just like the complications between the relationships for some of them get so complex that it's like difficult to re recreate. I guess there are biologists that work on that of like how to get, or what is it? A, uh, it's not a biologist. It's a type of biologist that studies mushrooms, right? A mycologist? Mycology? I think it's mycology and a mycologist for studying mushrooms. But I also think there's like agriculture interest. I think there's like a food industry interest in trying to generate mushrooms of different varieties so that they're like a, a commercially available product. So I think they're trying to like work those things out. So sometimes it's mycologists at that level trying to study it and figure that out. But I think sometimes it's like, I don't know, whole different companies and groups and teams of people trying to sort of, sort of, uh, figure out ways to sort out those problems with uh, with growing and harvesting some mushrooms and stuff. You know, I was hearing about this other thing too, where if you get a bunch of mushrooms and you're not quite sure what they are, there's a lot, there's, I guess, a few different ways, or there's, there's a couple problems where it's difficult to identify certain types of mushrooms. There's some mushrooms that have, well, I'm not really sure how it goes. I really don't know anything about it. So I guess I should leave with that. There's a lot of them that are poisonous, I guess is sort of like the the uh, the cautionary point of it. Like people talk about mushroom picking a lot, but really there's a lot of mushrooms that are that are pretty dangerous or that are just going to likely make you sick. So if you don't really have much expertise in it, uh, it's kind of kind of difficult to go out and do that easily, you know, because you're just going to gather some stuff that may look like it or may look almost exactly like it, but there's sort of some nuance to detail that makes it a different mushrooms or di a different mushroom species that actually is one that's you know not good for you or at least not edible there's a lot of there's i guess a difference between like the, the neurotoxic mushrooms that uh will i think kill you or or get you really sick uh and like sick uh in like a, a neurotoxin way but then i think there's like a, a number of them that are just inedible in a way where they'll they'll i guess one from a range make you very sick to eat or they'll make you just kind of like mildly unhappy with what you ate. But generally, like I prefer not to eat a lot of that stuff. Or like if it if it seems like it's a a bad or like an unknown, I'd rather like not eat uh, just sort of an unknown mushroom. A lot of them, I guess, you can eat. Or there's a number of them that are like maybe not preferred but are edible but sort of may make you get an upset stomach i was kind of confused about that of like well why would you eat it i was like oh you can eat it it'll make you sick but yeah you can eat it and it's like well oh but isn't that what why why i wouldn't eat it i mean it's it's a thing i mean that makes me sick right like i can eat rotten milk too right it just makes you sick like so i don't want it i don't know but uh, <laughs> i've heard of that as an explanation for some stuff also i don't know you, you hear weird explanations for eating natural things sometimes um so, uh, but yeah, I was hearing about this thing where you can, you can put, you can put a, you can put a bunch of mushrooms that you've got down on like a screen and then put like paper on the backside of it. And then if you cover them and let them sit for a while, they'll, the, after they're cut, they'll end up throwing their spores. And I guess with certain mushrooms, you can visually like see the spore pattern that's dropped onto the sheet that you put on that screen. And I guess that's how they're able to identify some similar shaped mushrooms. Like if this mushroom looks this way and this other mushroom of a different species looks almost exactly the same way a way that you can identify how they are different is by setting them on the screen and then getting a throw of their spores and then identifying the spore like you know one spore pattern will be like bluish or purplish or i don't know whatever 
and the other spatter or the other spore pattern will be like a yellow color or something. So you're like, oh, well, like this one, like through this kind of spore and this one didn't. So like now we can identify this as this, as this specific mushroom. I thought that was weird though, like how, how to kind of figure that out. But uh, fortunately, like it, that's what's cool about chanterelles is that they're really one of the easiest ones to identify the golden chanterelles. There's one that like almost looks like it. That's a good thing to like pull up a YouTube video to identify visually how to how to distinctly tell those difference the differences apart between them. It's sort of the way that the the gills are fluted up the vein of the stem, and then as it kind of comes up to the mushroom top, how does that how does that transition happen with chanterelles? It's the 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 gills are really shallow, and they start real low on it, and then kind of sweep up the fluting of the stem up to the mushroom top, and uh, and then with these imposter ones. I guess there's kind of like a hard angled joint there where you see the gill lines start and then the gills kind of come out from there with like a deeper, uh, a deeper sort of cut to the, to the gill ridge with sort of some finer material, but those aren't good to eat. And I think those are a little bit more of a white color. There's white chanterelles too. I'm not really sure how that goes. The difference between like the white chanterelles or the golden chanterelles. I thought it was like sun exposure. Like if they were kind of bleached out from being sort of hidden under moss or something, they always seem to be like a, a lighter kind of, well, yeah, just like a real light color. But then I thought the ones that were out in the sunshine had to sort of defend against that and like uh, got like more of a color to them. But I guess they're kind of like a different set of mushroom types. Sort of what I understand, but I've collected both of them in sort of the same areas. And if you find one, then it seems like you find uh, both of them. So I'm not sure how that goes, but I've uh, appreciated kind of collecting them. And uh, it's uh, cool to, to dry them. That's what I've been trying to do is it's hard to eat through all those mushrooms fresh as they are uh, when you're harvesting them. I'm harvesting those mushrooms all at one time. And so what I'm trying to do this year, as opposed to what I've done in past years, where I just try and make up a dish with all the mushrooms all that first time while they're fresh. It's fun to kind of go through uh, the stuff you harvested and then like make a big pasta thing and like put a bunch of mushrooms in it but this time it's just the ones that you harvested after you clean them so that's really cool and it's fun to uh, put stuff like that together but what i'm hoping to do is kind of gather up enough stuff from going out a little bit more frequently into a few different areas and then uh gathering up the stuff that i've got drying it out and then uh having like dried mushrooms that are bagged and stored so that i can have them kind of through the rest of the year um i've also heard about like freezing mushrooms have you guys heard of that I know, like, or, like, you know, like when you thought out, like, it's not really the same material anymore at all. So it's like you have to kind of put it into a, a sauce or something like that. So I was thinking, like, the cell damage that you get after freezing, it would just be, like, way too much to really use again. So I think what I'm going for is to, like, do a, uh, to dehydrate the mushrooms so I can, like, cut them or even maybe leave them intact, but, like, uh, have those mushrooms dehydrated which is there's a lot of water if you like um especially like after it's been like really wet like they just soak up that water in the forest floor and then it's all within that that cell mass of the chanterelle but when you put like take a cut of a chanterelle that's like a kind of a thicker hardier one you take a cut of it and you put it on a frying pan that's hot and you watch like the amount of water that it releases but it's like wow that is just almost all rainwater that had come down and filled the cell walls and now it's being released as you start to cook it but you think man that's a lot no way. So, I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's cool uh, going through October, doing some of this stuff. I've also been trying to go out and do some rock counting stuff. It's cool. I've just kind of been jetting over. I mean, this is like kind of the old and easy classic one, but I've been jetting over to the coast 
kind of keep an eye on the high tide and low tide times of the day and of the month, but it's uh, cool to jet out there and uh, check out what rocks are sort of washed up on the surface in the sand on the beaches uh, in times of low tide. So it's kind of cool going out there, cruising the rock line and kind of just picking up some nice polished stones on the beach, which I've been kind of trying to do. Some jade stuff is kind of cool. You find like the, the little green ones find some sand dollars and stuff, but you find like some cool rocks out there. I've been kind of having a good time trying to pull up some of those stones. A couple times we've got agate. A couple times it's like quartz. I think it's like a quartz rock. And then a lot of the time it's, I don't know, just some of their kind of cool, normal, what is it, basalt, normal rock stuff. Or it's got a line in it or something. That's kind of cool when you find one with like a, a textured feature of it, you know, where it's uh, there's some seam or something in there. I always like that kind of stuff too, where it's uh, it's kind of a combination and stuff. But been going out to the beach and uh, trying to find some rocks and stuff through October and trying to kind of get out and do some more active stuff. I'll get into some of the camping trip stuff that I've done here in a little bit. But yeah, trying to go out to Eastern Oregon and check out some stuff and uh, sort of poke around and You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. I don't know. I've been liking it. It's kind of, uh, kind of fun to be checking out some stuff on it. Uh, what's the other stuff I had to talk about? I think I was trying to figure out some some stuff on like my Mac laptop. I've been trying to set it up more so that it has the 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 full set of applications and features and utilities on it that I wanted. I've talked a little bit about that. Like I, I went ahead and I got the iStat menus application on there so I can look at the sensors that are in my MacBook. Uh, the the what is it the the network in and out speeds that are current and the history of the, the network up and down speeds, I guess over the last day or, you know, seven days or, you know, all that, all that information's in there. The amount of disk space or all these different pieces of information you kind of want to know about your computer and your system and how it's working. I have Daisy disk, which is one I've been using in the past a lot. It's a really cool or pretty good graphical way of sort of showing the, a pie chart of what's taking up space on your hard drive. I've been using Gemini, as a, a deduplication application to go through and find like different versions of photos that I don't really want to keep stored anymore, which has been interesting to go through or, or just these just straight duplicates where, you know, the photo got pulled in. It's just the raw version twice. And it's, you know, there's no difference between it other than just one file is named two, something like that. It's sort of silly. So it's taking a, a, a silly amount of space. This has been a good program to kind of find some of those programs and then eliminate them. And it's good also to showing you like, uh, or letting you compare like I, these two are said to be the same. Do you want me to kind of automatically go through and take them out? I don't really recommend that. It seems like it's best to sort of go through and select a number of them and start pulling them out. Uh, it was sort of with some thought and care to it. It seemed like that made a difference to me when I did it. So it might make a difference if you try to do it too. Another app that I uh, I jumped onto was the Magnet app, which sort of reproduces some of the functionality you started seeing in Windows 7 now in Windows 10, where the the Windows like if you have a, a, a some 
some window up in some program and you drag it over to the left side, it'll snap to the left side and then kind of fill that side of the screen. Or if you drag it straight up, it'll fill the full screen. If you bring it over the right side, it'll fill that right side of the screen. That snapping stuff isn't really on the Mac. It's uh, always sort of been set up to do these sort of multi-window painting things, but I kind of like it snapping over to the side and it helps when you have some bigger monitors too where it, uh, you know, it can kind of grab over to a side with if you have a couple programs. So I got this program called Magnet. It's one of the top selling paid apps in the App Store. There's a few different competitors too that people seem to be interested in also, but I got this one. It was working great enough. It's a little different than the, the way that the Windows one does it, but it's fine. Uh, and it adds the, the functionality that I was looking for, which is a great, great benefit for me. Uh, the other one, the other utility that I was picking up was Paste, the Paste app, which I think is kind of interesting. It's um, it's like a clipboard app. So every computer, I think, you know, I don't know, since we started getting graphical user interfaces, I think since, as I recall, Windows 3.1 had you know a clipboard in it. But that's when you do the, the copy-paste stuff. If you copy... Uh, or cut, copy, or paste. If you cut or copy something, it goes onto your clipboard, and then when you paste it, it's pulled off the clipboard and pasted in to where it's going to go. But really, the computer convention, for whatever reason, is just set to that you can only copy or cut one item at a time. And if you cut again or copy again, there's really no history of it or there's no way to track back the, the level of things that you've had copied or cut if you want to paste those in. So it can kind of add into some frustrations. But uh, this clipboard utility, Paste, the Paste app, I think is set to sort of store like snippets and, and pieces of information that you're going to try and pull up and use repeatedly over time through like your workflow. So I was trying to figure out a way to do that. I'm doing a bunch of SEO stuff like I was saying on that website. So going through and having like a like a you know this is a block of links this is a block of explanation text this is like a great meta tag this is for this zone if i have all that sort of laid out that's a great workflow where i can just kind of pull up it's sort of it's like a it's visually the the, the ui is that you hit like a command on the keyboard it'll pull up the bottom third of the screen and you have this history this row this like timeline of all the different times that you've copied something over to your clipboard and you can go back to as far as a month or maybe even more than that. And it, it'll share it with iCloud, too. So if you have different computers, you can have this app on there. And you can kind of share everything on your clipboard around. It's kind of interesting. And it's a, a cool little, I don't know, little uh, useful Mac utility if you are so inclined to do co copy-paste. But I don't know. I, you know, a lot of people seem to survive with just, uh, what is it, Command, Command-C, Command-V? I guess I have up until this point, but I thought I'd try it out. It was, uh, I thought it'd be kind of fun. So, Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there, some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other, other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts, all pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanAphoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.